What is up, Baton Rouge, and welcome back to the Tiger Pride Podcast presented by 225 Magazine. I'm Mark Clements, back with you again. And finally, after, what, five weeks or so, we got the man, the myth, the legend, bucket hats, scribbles, call him what you want. Jarrett Roser is finally back with us. Jarrett, how does it feel to be... Uh, be back in the full swing of football action. Yeah, for real, man. It's football season now. I got to stop taking all these trips to Chicago and Pittsburgh and everything I had trying to enjoy the, the last bit of summer. And we're a few days into LSU football practice now. Um, and that Miami game is just a, a couple weeks away. It's coming quick. Well, you can just bring me to Chicago next time. wouldn't mind that either. Dude, come anytime. <laughs> uh, so let's start a little bit about uh, you've been, been to Chicago and your summer's been busy. But uh, on a personal level you guys just launched a new website tigerdetails.com uh with former guys that uh we all worked with at the times picayune jimmy smith and sam spiegelman tell us a little bit about the website and what you guys plan to do with it um already gained some traction on the recruiting world with uh some videos you guys have posted yeah i actually i joked on the radio the other day that i i just thought i was signing up for a dating website and apparently now <laughs> i'm back on the lsu beat full time but it'll get you really i mean it was you know to some degree it was something that was in the works for quite a while jimmy and i had started having these conversations i mean months ago and then when things unfortunately went the way they did with sec country and sam became free and we found out there would be a way that we could pair the three of us up together it got that much more exciting because uh i mean the connections and, and work that we've all continued to put in since our time at NOLA.com, Times Picayune, has, I, I think, really set us up to, to be a, a pretty formidable team and, and do a great job covering LSU and recruiting and just from a information, getting good information to folks quickly standpoint, as well as just being able to be a little bit more in-depth and creative with some different ideas. So... We launched on August 1st. It's We've seen a lot of support, and it's been a lot of fun so far, and we are ecstatic to uh, be together jumping into this, this first football season. And hope, hopefully uh, more and more people, as we get closer to kickoff, join us on TigerDetails.com. Yeah, I'm excited to see uh, you know, more content you guys keep pushing out, and obviously we're going to be, I guess, somewhat of, a, somewhat of a partnership between us and y'all with the podcast. And um giving y'all some love on, on y'all's day-to-day stuff and, and game days are just going to be a, a crazy kind of combination of the two. Um, it's exciting to get into football season finally. We spent the last few weeks doing these summer interviews um, on the podcast. We had Steve Insminger, Jonathan Giles, um, Devin White. We've had all kinds of guys uh, come through on the on the podcast, but now we get to finally talk some some X's and O's and expectations of what to, what we might see from this, this LSU team this fall. And we wanted to spend this whole episode talking about the offense and kind of what we expect to see from the starters there. We're going to go position by position um, and, you know, talk to you all about our confidence levels with different guys who we expect to start, um, all that kind of stuff. And so let's start. I mean, the most newsworthy item recently, at least, has been Ed Ingram being suspended indefinitely from the team, which is obviously a big hit, a guy that's had a lot of experience and was kind of going to kind of be one of the anchors on the right side of that offensive line. Just in your mind, how big of a hit is that to this offensive line? I mean, I know there's been the guys that's they've had a little bit of depth there. Does it worry you at all not having him in fall camp? You know, there's still unsure if there's a possibility he can come back for this football season or not. But assuming he's out for the year, 
does that is that worrisome or do you think they have guys in there who can who can fill their shoes it's it's kind of one of my biggest question marks on the entire team as much attention as gets paid to the quarterback spot I think whoever ends up at the quarterback position which obviously we'll talk a little bit more about um shortly I think is going to be a decent option but not great and you can kind of expect them to to be to be okay I guess it's not gonna I don't think it's gonna be a disaster there but I also don't think we're looking at a Heisman Trophy candidate but going into the camp even with Ingram I was interested to see how the interior line shook out because there was a lot of question mark whether Cushenberry was going to be able to be center or Brumfield was going to have to be center and I don't know if slash when the last time Garrett played meaningful center. It yeah, certainly right. wasn't in college or, or high school. Um, and how some of that was going to shake up as well as which guy was going to step up and be the right tackle. So Ed Ingram and Sadiq Charles were the two at right guard and left tackle coming back after all those starts last year. You thought, all right, those spots are solid. You like Garrett Brumfield. You just don't know exactly where he is and if he's going to be dealing with some learning curve issues if he has to shift um, to center. And then right off the bat, Ed Ingram's out of that picture. And so now you've got a transfer who looks like he'll be in there at one of the guards. Uh, That much more pressure on Cushenberry and on down the line. There are a lot of guys. There are a lot more names that – have the potential to step up and, and be good players for them on that front than, than maybe they've had the last couple years, especially when some injuries came into play and people were worried about KJ or Toby and, um, and them not being 100% how things were looking. The question is, are they going to step up and be a strength or is it going to be some kind of ups and downs? Because we saw early last season when they were dealing with some of those things that – that was a weakness for them in that yeah. three-game stretch, and it hurt them badly. And so, man, we'll see how it shakes out over these next few weeks. Yeah, I think the the biggest thing that might worry me is not necessarily who ends up being the starter, but just the, there's not a ton of depth there. There's not a ton of experience depth there. And I think you feel pretty good about Sadiq with him coming in last year and getting significant playing time. I think you feel good about Garrett. If he has to line up at center, again, like you mentioned, not something that we've seen him do at LSU or at – at U High, but I guess to a degree, you look at him and he's him and John Battle are the two, you know, old guys, old veterans on the team. He's seen a lot of football. He's a smart enough guy to, I think, pick it up. It's just a matter of if those mechanics, um, you know, when you get late into the game, late into the season in, uh, in a big game against a big opponent, um, just making sure it all pieces together. Uh, you mentioned Damian Lewis at right guard. By all indications, he seems to be just a mauler on the inside, and reports are just saying that. It's going to be impossible to keep him off the field. Um, good that he's finding a spot. And then that right tackle position looks like it's going to be a battle between an Adrian McGee, Austin Deculus, Bedard Traore. So a couple names. Um, and then going back to where Garrett Brumfield enters the picture, it's either going to be him or Lloyd Cushenberry. At this stage, and there's still a lot of fall camp to be to be had and to see how kind of how all this plays out, is, is there a, a five that you would feel most comfortable if the LSU had to play tomorrow? At this point, I really don't know. Yeah. Um, at, at this point, I might – I don't know. That's so, that's so tough to say because I think these next few weeks will be good for Brumfield as mm-hmm. he works at that center position. That I think he's 
as much as you wonder how well he can transition to that, I think that's a good place for him long term for his size maybe in the league. And also he's such a smart, quick study right. at things that I think he can pick up on it pretty quickly. I don't know that day four of camp is the day that I want him to be playing a meaningful game at that position, but I think that by the end of the month that maybe he's that guy. And so, I I mean, I think you feel good knowing that Sadiq, Damian, and Brumfield are going to be in that mix. And then a lot of it, to me, falls on how much they trust Cushenberry in about two weeks. And if they feel like they trust him at center, then – that kind of sets up the rest of it where now you've just got to figure out that right tackle, which I think ends up coming down to Deculus or McGee right now. Um, and in our like predictions right before camp started for NOLA.com, I predicted that I think Deculus ends up being the guy there. Um, but we'll see as it continues to shake up. Because if they don't trust Lloyd, then maybe Adrian McGee gets a go at yep. guard. Or you've you've seen some positive reviews of Donovan Campbell maybe being as prepared as he's been. Maybe he slides into there. But a lot of it, a lot of it hinges to me on Cushenberry at the moment. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, for what it's worth, not this truly holds a ton of weight. But Cushenberry was a guy that Edo raved about all of last spring and really through fall camp, saying he was he was pushing for that spot. But then once push came to shove and the season started you saw will clap take over that center spot but um i know i feel like a lot of times lg fans would listen to less miles rave about dudes in spring and fall camp and then never see him on the field the whole season so i don't know if coach owes any differently but uh he was a guy that was mentioned almost daily um a season ago i, I think they want garrett to be ready for that spot i think so um, too but if if lloyd has a good camp then it it might not matter, and it, it it will ultimately come down to who you kind of mentioned it, who the top five is. Right. It's they're not gonna they have enough flexibility that they can move a couple guys around to those question mark spots. They just need to figure out which two guys they trust the most around those those other three, regardless of which combination those two are that they can plug in um, and make it work around them. And I think just to kind of wrap up the the O line, I think overall. I, I feel you feel pretty good about who the first five are going to be. And, again, like I mentioned, I just think it's – if you start seeing injuries there, you're going to have to bring in some of these young guys. Um, Corey Savage doesn't have a ton of experience. Chasen Hines, um, the freshman Cole Smith at center. You, you, you don't want to have to play these guys early. So if you can keep these guys healthy and even have a little bit of rotation with the – you know, whoever ends up winning that battle with McGee, Zeculus, Traore – um, kind of shifting those guys around um, will be nice, but I think it's just it's maybe stating the obvious, but you don't have a ton of depth there. It's just injuries are going to be even more important this year than they have been in the past, I think. And moving out a little bit, let's go to the tight ends. Uh, this is one of the few spots, <laughs> really one of the only spots on the offense where you have some semblance of stability, uh, familiar names. You know who's going to take over that number one spot, and that's Foster Morrow. Um, the new number 18, which I think is a, a very fitting role for him, um, a leader. We talked to him. He was on one of the one of the episodes of the podcast earlier this summer, a guy that we spoke to um, for the LSU issue of 225. He's actually LSU's leading receiver coming, coming into, into the fall camp. He had 24 catches, 278 yards, and three touchdowns last year. And by all indications, it seems like they're going to use the tight ends a lot more – or a lot more in a lot – of different ways than they may have in the past under 
Steve Insminger, who was obviously a tight ends coach before he was the offensive coordinator. Um, we spoke to Foster and Thaddeus Moss, the son of Randy Moss, who transferred over from NC State, sat out last year, um, did NCAA rules. And uh, both of those guys have just talked about how the tight ends are going to be used tight on the line and the slot out as a receiver, um, just kind of all over the place. Um, and so I think Foster being your number one tight end, he's kind of a pretty all-around well-built tight end. He has good hands. Um, he's proven he can he can be in on blocking downs. And that's the biggest thing I think Thad was trying to work on this whole past offseason was his blocking. He's kind of got those gifted hands coming from his dad, but um, was always a pass-catching, pass-first tight end. And he's really worked on his his blocking ability, which is going to be huge um, with uh, with the injury to Jamal Pettigrew and having him out, who is a, a huge target, who I kind of was low-key excited about seeing this year. But with him out, I think it's going to be Foster and Thad. And then you have a little bit of depth with Ja'Cory Washington. And then um, I don't think you'll see much of the young guys like Aaron Moffitt and um, Zach Sheffer. Yeah, it, it will be interesting. You mentioned – there's an expectation that we'll see more of the tight end than we have in the past, but we've also heard that a lot of years yep. and it, it not really pan out that way. And if we are going to see a lot more of tight ends than the progress that guys like Thaddeus Moss and Ja'Cory Washington have made are going to be really important because it can't just all be Foster Morrow, despite the fact that, as you mentioned, he comes back with as many receiving touchdowns from last year as the entire rest of the returning core um, of receivers had if you, um, with, with his three and then his 278 yards. So they, they lose a lot of offensive production just all around, rushing, receiving, and then passing, obviously, with Danny Etlin graduating. Um, and so Foster Morrow, I feel like you can rely on, but if you want that to be an integral part of your offense – you'll probably need one of those other guys to step up to, to do some of the things and provide some of the different looks that I think they're going to want to. Um, as much as I love Foster, I feel like they just need more than him. Uh, yep. Not to say that he won't have a good season, but you, you want you want two or three. Yeah, and I, and I don't think he's quite as athletic as like a Deshaun Smith was a year ago. And I bet, yeah. just have memories of that first game that uh, I guess that was a couple years ago when – Insminger took over the interim offensive coordinator role in one of the first plays he did. They brought in yeah. Danny Etling and threw that bomb down the sideline to Deshaun Smith, and I think Tiger Stadium just kind of lost their mind for a couple seconds. It was not only a passing play, it was your backup quarterback who they had been calling for, and then it was a pass to a tight end. Just the the perfect storm of, uh, of what LSU fans wanted to see. So, I don't, again, I don't necessarily see that this year, but I do think um, – Foster's going to be a guy they're going to rely upon. Just again, number eighteen and his experience. And I'm, I'm, I'm just curious to see what Thad brings to the table, being that he has a history of being a pass catcher first at NC State and in high school, and then obviously with his genes and just seeing what he can contribute when he finally gets on the field. Moving out to receivers, this one is the one that I'm. I want to get your opinion on because I know you got to go out to the camp on Sunday and watch these guys, and I mean. Man, just looking at the videos and just watching them on the field, they got some dudes. Oh, they yeah. seem like they are littered with just dudes. Um, who stood out? I mean, we can just look. We can go on the list and list all the names, but who stood out the most to you, I guess, in terms of how they looked, or was there a guy who just size-wise you were like, whoa? Do you have a guess? 
of who I'm going to say. Jamar? Yeah, Jamar Chase <laughs> is going to push for immediate playing time yeah. as a true freshman on this football team. Jonathan Giles is a guy that, despite the fact that he hasn't played in purple and gold yet, he's been around a while, had to sit out last year. He's the number seven, which carries a lot of weight, too, as much as we just talk about uh, the number 18 that Foster's got for this year. So Jonathan Giles, I think, is a guy that they're going to rely on a lot. And then in terms of other returning um, production, you have Steph Sullivan, Drake Davis, Derek Dillon all kind of did their thing in some spots. Derek more early in the year. And then Steph was just kind of in spots throughout. Um, I think Steph Steph Sullivan from his size dynamic is going to be somebody that they want to get involved and he's got as much experience as anyone else in that group but I think a lot of those new faces beyond Giles the younger new faces are going to be major this year and are going to do so early Justin Jefferson's a guy that you've heard his name for quite a while and he seems like he's going to be pushing for uh, big opportunities early Jamar Chase Terrace Marshall if if he continues to look healthy Keenan Jones the guy from Berwick is a guy that um maybe not as polished as Jamar but is a hell of an athlete and has kind of opened some eyes already in camp Racy McMath is a guy that a lot of people are waiting to see what they can get from him and it just kind of continues to to go on down the line Jeray Jenkins Mm -hmm. worth mentioning um I think as as much as this group is unproven for the most part, particularly outside of Stephon Sullivan, that it has the potential to be a strength because I think a lot of them are really talented. And you heard Giles talk about the fact that he thinks they might use four and five wide receiver yeah. sets. And I think they've got enough depth there if, the, if these players actually – reach their potential and stay working the way they appear to be working right now and um and just kind of getting some of that technique that coach Sullivan loves to talk so much about that they have a chance to be a a pretty uh big successful part of this offense yeah I think they can be they can be pretty salty and I'm kind of okay let's I want to pinpoint Justin Jefferson because he was a guy that he kind of interesting story he came on late was a late addition to that class that, that signing class and just physically he doesn't Looking at him on the field, he's not gonna—he's not gonna awe you. With, he's with a his, little dude. With his physical, with his phys- but the size or anything. But you see him in the spring game with a whatever it was, sixty-something yard touchdown pass in the spring game. What does he? What does he do well? What is making him stand out? He's one of the first three names that Coach O and Steve Insminger always talk about when they when they list the receivers. It's always Giles Jefferson and Jamar Giles Jefferson and and Racy. It's, yeah. it's always. Or Steph, it's always Jefferson's always one and two right there with Giles. What what does he do so well? I'm not going to be surprised if it's Giles Jefferson and Jamar yeah. starting out. And Justin really was kind of a an interesting recruiting process to watch because it was so late. And I remember watching at camps and his quickness and just like some of the moves he would make to give himself some space were so crazy like I remember watching one play and I apologize to my my man for this but he shook Todd Harris who's obviously <laughs> a hell of a defensive back yeah and is now on this football team both of them um on this football team shook Todd to the point where Todd ended up like 25 yards away like just tripping off the entire field and it was crazy and it was the most like I don't know, the the most clear example of what he was doing to some guys out there. 
but he was doing that a lot at that point. And so you see this thin little dude out there with, with Jordan Jefferson losing his mind on the sideline. Um, and he just he kept doing that to, to people and just using that quickness and some footwork to really distance himself and then be gone. And you started to think, all right, well, he might actually have a chance to get in. And it didn't really seem like it was materializing um, for, I guess, a variety of reasons. But then at the end, he ends up a part of that class. And it was so late, you wait, to, you were wondering to see exactly what type of an impact he's going to make. Mm-hmm. And now here he is being in that conversation day in, day out. Yeah, that's that's an awesome story to see the third Jefferson come through um, after Justin, uh, not Justin, this is Justin, Jordan and Ricky um, is the first two. And I think uh, another huge addition, which I, is, is the addition of um, Jerry Sullivan. Cause I think a lot of times in the past, you see LSU recruit these just freak athlete dudes at, at receiver and they don't really pan out. And, you know, I'm not an expert, but you look at, what's the reason it's got to be because they're not running clean routes or they're not making the cuts or they're not playing smart receiver not playing smart football and so I think it's good and we've already seen it I mean I'm sure you saw it on Sunday when you're at practice just the the attention to detail that that Jerry Sullivan has and then you look at guys like D Anderson who's just a freak and Steph and his size and Drake Davis and his size and speed and you I mean even the freshmen that you talked about with with Keenan Jones and uh, Jamar Chase and Terrace Marshall just these guys who are just super athletic and if they can fine-tune the art of playing wide receiver I think this could be a super super talented group and then obviously we'll talk about talk about quarterbacks but if you could find a guy to get the ball into their hands I think this could be a um, a special group let's move to running backs next we'll close out with the biggie uh, at quarterback let's go to running backs next and again <clears throat> we mentioned how Foster was the leading receiver leading receiver uh, as a tight end and the, the receivers a lot of unknowns a lot of talent but a lot of unknowns it's a somewhat similar story with the running backs again a lot of unknowns I mean you have a fourth year guy Nick Brissett who just I mean to no fault of his own he's been behind Leonard Fournette Darius Geis and Darrell Williams so I mean it's <laughs> you know no, no skin off the nose there but um, you're still kind of waiting for him to just sort of take over and, and you know hope that this can be his time to shine uh but you also hear a lot of really good things about Claude Edwards Elair, which being a Baton Rouge guy, we got to see him a lot in high school and see he was, you know, kind of a, as Darius, he calls him a little Darius. Uh, and he's just so short and stocky with those tree trunk legs. He's hard to take down. And he's And he's shifty and he's got really good hands. And I would not be surprised if he takes the first snap of the football season. Um, and then we haven't seen a ton of it. And I really want to see him in pads. But a guy like Chris Curry who runs, I mean, you go watch his film, he's – a little Marshawn Lynch, just the way he runs. He's got the dreads, number 24. It's just a reincarnation of of Marshawn. I'm curious to see how all these play out and if they end up relying on one guy like an Edwards Eli to kind of be take the bulk of the carries or if it is a true split and these guys end up, you know, with, within 20, 40 carries of each other uh, when the year rolls around. Do you have any, any insight or thought as to how you think these – Three, and I guess if you want to throw in Tay Provins or uh, Baby Fournette in there, maybe they'll get a few carries here and there. But um, how do you kind of see this shaping out? And is is there a guy you're most excited to see out of these three? I I think it's going to be a mixture of um, of you know 
at least three, probably deeper. I look at Clyde as the number one to me, but I think both of those older guys, especially early in the season, are going to lead the way. I know um, Nick is is looking pretty good in the early days of camp, and I know he's come in to this season, his senior season, with a lot of a lot of focus and a lot of confidence that, yeah, we've got these these young guys on the roster now, but this is my and Clyde's group to lead at the moment. Um, and, and he feels that veteran leadership. And you heard Foster talk about some of the leadership that Nick has brought to this team and continues to bring to this team. And so I think I look at those two, particularly with Clyde being a little five foot eight bowling ball, a lot tougher than people want to give him credit for when yeah. they see his size, um, height wise mainly, but he's not a dude that you expect to be out there carrying the ball 30 some odd times a game. And so I think you'll see those two certainly mixed in in a lot of a lot of ways. Um, and then Chris Curry, for sure, I expect to be involved and maybe more and more as the season progresses. I think he's still kind of picking up on some things and is maybe um, he's got a little bit more to learn as a, as a true freshman than these other guys have at the moment. Um, but for me, it starts with those veterans, but ultimately – uh, is kind of a, a stable of backs as we, as we saw at at times under less miles for sure and then a little bit the last couple of years too yeah does it worry you at all not not having a guy I mean not that you have to have a Darius or a Leonard which are two obviously transcendent backs but not not even having a guy who has you know 30 carries a season just just does that was that worrisome or is it again kind of a similar story with the receivers whereas yeah, it's worrisome, but you you feel good about what you got in the stable. I think that's the latter is kind of what LSU is feeling right now because they have been really impressed with Clyde and they have been really impressed with the progress Nick continues to make into his last season. It's just it's so tough to feel that confident in Baton Rouge about a running back core that is that unproven because it's been more than a decade since this has happened. I went back and looked and the the amount of the number of rushes and amount of rushing yards that has come back even in years where where a guy like a Hester is gone or a Scott is gone there's always been another guy that was more involved right behind them than this past year and so it's tough to feel great about it just because it's such an um a rare and kind of uncomfortable position uh for an LSU fan but there is a lot of optimism uh, within that building that uh, that they've got the guys that can get it done, similar to the wide receiver group. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to see again. Like I mentioned, it's a similar story to the receivers. I'm just excited to see what these dudes bring to the table, and it and maybe it is ends up being <clears throat> not as strong as as you'd hope for. But I think I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to have to rely on a stable of backs rather than having a proven workhorse. I think LSU has made it work in the past, and I think. Um, I mean, a lot of other, a lot of other schools we see a you know two headed monster or a three headed monster at running back, and I think if you can get these guys, especially the freshmen, if you can get Curry and maybe even Tay Provins, who kind of has that electric speed, and if you can get these guys prepared and ready for weekly action, I think it could be actually turn into a, a strength of this team down the line, hopefully sooner rather than later um, as they head into the season. And then we'll close out with um, we'll close out the position by position groups with uh, with the quarterbacks, and I feel like. Um, 
I feel like most people who have followed LSU kind of feel the same consensus. You, you, you know, you don't you don't bring in a Joe Burrow to not to not start, and they're saying all the right things. And by all indications, Joe's personality and his mindset when he's come onto onto campus has been the right way. You know, he wants to earn it. He does not want, doesn't want to be given anything. He's been everyone we talked to said he's been humble. He studies the playbook. He's you know helping. It's a good relationship with Brennan and McMillan and Narcisse and all that. Um, I mean, I guess I'm asking the obvious question here, but you, I mean, you feel the same way that this is Joe's job to lose at this point, and he's going to take the first nap in Miami. I that's been my expectation since mid-May or whenever he announced that he was coming to Baton Rouge and not going to Cincinnati. I, I that my expectation has been that he would be the starter against Miami. Um, I don't know that I'd flat out say it's his job to lose here in the first couple of days of camp. Mm-hmm. I think it certainly is one of the older guys in McMillan or or Burrow. But I think watching this first week, week and a half, is going to be really interesting to see which guy gets the most snaps and the first snaps in that scrimmage on the first Saturday, or I guess second Saturday because they started on a Saturday. And just... I know it's getting really close to the season, but it, we're at a time now where quarterbacks transfer this yep. late in the game. And so we'll see how this first week, week and a half go and, and who looks like they're where. And then you may see – I mean, you may only see three of these quarterbacks here. I I don't know anything real definitive to say, oh, Justin still might leave or Lowell still might leave, but we saw Lindsey leave yeah. last year. Um, or, yeah, last yeah, year. Last year yeah. um, Around this time. Last year af- after the first scrimmage. And so there's still enough time before that first day of classes where guys kind of get a, a read on where they stand. But I think kind of alluding back to what I said uh, at the, the onset of, of this podcast, I think – Joe Burrow or Justin McMillan, they have different tools, but tools that are going to have the ability to be a decent starting quarterback for LSU this year. And I think maybe the ceiling ends up being higher for Joe Burrow, but with him coming in in the summer and some of the uh, experience and um, and also dual threat ability, ability to do some things with his legs that Justin McMillan brings to the table – I think that's an interesting competition to watch uh, over particularly the next week and a half, but um, potentially all the way up through that game week. Yeah, the first couple scrimmages are going to be super interesting. Not that we get to watch it, but we get to hopefully hear the stats and hope they're as accurate as they can be. But Sure. Uh, <laughs> so the joke has been, you know, Joe Burrow, the hero, Joe Burrow, the savior, all these things. Um He's going to come here, win win a couple Heisman's, and then and then get out. But what I mean, what's a realistic expectation? Just and I, I know I'm asking a, again a tough question when we've seen such little film on him, and you've only got to see him throw and you know no pads, no defense, that kind of thing. What if let's say he ends up taking the starting job? What is number one? What's realistic? And then number two, uh, what are you going to define as a, a successful season? Like what is what does an LSU quarterback have to do? to be successful because we had the debate all last year about Danny Etling and Miles Brennan and Etling is a good quarterback and all these all these things and he seemed to be the game manager LSU fans called for for forever and it, it still wasn't good enough so I mean like what 
what do you have to see from Burrow to call him a success? And then also, is is that bar realistic? I think to me, it's kind of like an Al Davis, like just win, baby type situation. <laughs> because this team is going into this year, a lot of uncertainty on offense in particular, but there are a lot of projections coming out around the country that are pinning them at like a 7-5 and five team. Yeah. And I don't know how well that is going to sit in Baton Rouge. And that's kind of where I was looking at them before Burrow announced he was coming to town. And I think that he's a guy that may be able to to make some smart plays and win, help them win a game or two that maybe they wouldn't have otherwise won. And so I think if – and again, you talk about Danny Etling did what people have called for and, and still got criticized – I think that's what I look for from whichever one of these quarterbacks ends up being the guy is if you can complete about 60% of your passes, that's pretty good. Like get up to about 60, low 60s, mm-hmm. and don't throw a lot of interceptions. Make a couple timely plays here and there. I Like I think he can be – I think Joe Burrow can be Danny Etling plus. plus. Yeah, right. like m- make a couple more plays here and there hit a couple more big throws than we necessarily saw Danny make all the time. And I think that if he does that, that they have the potential to, um, if they if they get what they need from the offensive line, which is such a huge question mark to me, and, and to a lesser degree some of these other skill position guys on offense, I think they can turn themselves into like a nine-win team potentially. Um, and I think if they win – nine game if they're looking at a nine and three season i think that's a fantastic season for this lsu football team heading into the 2019 recruiting class that's already coming together well mm-hmm. um and all those things um and so that's kind of i don't know it's a, it's a team statistic but it's kind of the litmus test for me is if they can they can win some games win win eight and potentially right. even nine games. I think you hit the nail on the head, and that was what I was going to say next. Is just if he, if he can be what Danny Etling was, and then add on, and again, not be a superstar, not be the Heisman the Heisman guy, just be what Danny Etling was, and then in a big game, make a, a play or two here or there. That that you know that a ten zero game against Bama that gives you a touchdown and puts you back in that game, something like that. Um, so yeah, like you mentioned, Danny Etling plus, and I think you're looking at a pretty good situation, especially when you. As we backtracked and talked about earlier, all the receivers and the guys they have around him, if he can just be efficient, not throw, you know, keep keep the ball safe, not throw turnovers. Um, I mean, I think that's like you said. I think it's just win, baby, and I think that will uh, be a formula for success. And then I uh, just wanted to close out this episode of the podcast, uh, looking at the just the offense as a whole. And what you expect out of Steve Insminger um, as offensive coordinator. Obviously, we saw him in an interim role for most of 2016. And uh, I know fans, you know, they like to hype up the, all the records he broke against a pretty bad Missouri, Missouri team. But uh, records nonetheless, I guess. Um, but what you did see, I think that was the biggest difference, was just the, uh, was the play calling and, and the, way, the way the game kind of unfolded offensively and, and the, the shots they were taking. So it – as a lot of guys will tell you, it wasn't his play. You know, it wasn't his playbook. So he was, he, he was still limited. He was still working with the Les Miles playbook, and he couldn't really do a ton differently. But he did utilize the plays that were in there very differently. And so I'm curious to see what a true Steve Insminger offense looks like. And I, 
I hesitate to say this, but I do believe in that it's going to open up a little more this year than it has in the past. I, I, I think, you know, he's a former quarterback and he's a tight ends coach. There has been a tight ends coach for a while. I've, I, I think it's going to be more up and up, but you still hear Coach O saying it's going to be 50-50 run pass. And, and Inzminger's kind of – I can tell when I talked to him this summer, he was hesitant to say they're still going to use the eye because he's afraid LSU fans are going to take that and run. But the eye is not a necessarily a bad formation. You just got to use it in the right spots and games and that kind of thing. So I, I don't think it's – you know, look different, yes, but I don't think it's going to be anything crazy drastic like we saw with Matt Canada last year. That's just a completely off-the-wall – you know, shifts and formations and looks so, so different. I think it's going to be relatively straightforward formations and things, but you're going to see a lot of difference in play calls and their, uh, you know, being aggressive on, you know, on plays where you think they might run, they might throw passes and play, plays you think they might throw passes. They're going to run the ball and um, just switch it up and just be a little more, a little more open and uh, hopefully a little more, a little more fun to watch um, and a little more creative I guess, what's your kind of overall assessment of, of what Coach E is going to bring? That's such a novel idea to think about <laughs> when the defense thinks you're going to run, maybe you pass, and when they think you're going to pass, maybe you run. Um, and when you talked about the shifts, that was going to be my – that was originally going to be my joke to start was probably not going to see as much pre-snap motion as yeah. we saw um, against – BYU people were losing their minds. I don't think we're going to see quite that against Miami. I'm pretty sure half the dome erupted when they the very first play that half the line shifted from right to left or whatever, and everyone lost yeah. their mind. And then they proceeded to be one of the most heavily penalized yeah. offenses for the next few weeks until they uh, cut a little bit of that out. I think I don't know. I mean, a lot of what you said, I I don't expect to see as much of the um, the I don't even know how you'd want to. Uh, classified some of that kind of cute stuff that yeah. that Canada gets known for that um, people that will criticize him will call it a little bit gimmicky and, and stuff like that. Um, but I do think we'll see some shots down the field. I think we'll see um, if what we're being told in the lead up to the season holds true. We're expecting to see some uh, some four and five wide receiver sets in some spots and just pretty pretty varied formations to be able to get four or five wide receivers involved but also to be able to utilize Torrey Carter who has has been a good fullback for this this team to get him involved there in the backfield maybe you get some some of those two two halfback looks with with Nick and Clyde both getting in there um if they can rely on other tight ends that we talked about beyond Foster we still see a some two tight end sets and I think they've got guys to be able to mix things up and I think that the expectation is we will see that um and and also not be as predictable in some of those sets as people got frustrated with uh just a few years ago I'm so glad you mentioned Tory Carter because I made a note to give him a shout because that dude is so fun to watch on the field he <laughs> every single play goes and finds he's head hunting and he's blowing somebody up and he's got the eye black all over his face that dude is he's a football player he's he's a straight up football player keep an eye out for him um i guess i'll save this for for when we do our season preview i wanted to talk about predictions for uh for the offense in terms of leading receiver leading rusher but we'll, we'll have a, a season prediction uh episode uh leading up to the miami game 
So I guess that'll do it for this week of the Tiger Pride podcast. Uh, be sure to follow us on iTunes and on SoundCloud. You can search for 225 Magazine or Tiger Pride Podcast. Give Jarrett a follow on Twitter at Jarrett Roser. And uh, make sure you go subscribe to TigerDetails.com uh, while the deals, deals are still hot. You can find all this stuff on, uh, they're going to post it on Tiger Details. We'll also post it on 225BatonRouge.com. Facebook.com slash 225magazine and Instagram and Twitter at 225batonrouge. And we want to make sure we get you guys involved. You can send us your questions. If you have any interview requests, guys, you want us to try and grab it. Uh, and media requests, we can do that. Or topics, if you have any anything you want us to discuss, leave that in the comment section or hit us up on Twitter. Again, Jarrett is at Jarrett Roser and I'm at Mark Clements 225. We'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening.